0: And we're going to dive back into our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke today. So, if you have your Bibles, or if you have the Bible app on your phone or your tablet, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 10. If you are following along on the app, just like always, you can click on the More tab, then Events, and find today's date and Hillside Missionary Church. You can follow along there. Hey, Luke chapter 10. uh, I appreciate the break that uh, Dr. Tom gave me as he came in here. Allowed me to really invest into uh, my camp messages a lot better. So. I appreciate your flexibility there, but we're going to continue on. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for a number of months, and we're at a point to where we are now where we find a very familiar passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember, a few weeks ago in chapter 9, we talked about how this was a turning point in the book of Luke. That as Jesus is starting his ministry, he does a lot of miracles. And then he faces his face towards Jerusalem. And he's heading there until he will eventually die on the cross. And so as he does that, he's going to teach a lot more here. We're going to see a lot more parables. And that's starting right here today in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You're probably familiar with it if you've been in church for any period of time. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. This is what it says. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the man, um, The man who fell among the robbers, he said the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. We're going to talk about this and what this means for our lives. I know that this is a very familiar passage for most of us, but I think that God's got something really cool in store for us. Let's pray and ask him for his help with that as we talk about this. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is good, it's perfect, it's authoritative over our lives, that we don't have to wander around wondering what, how we should live our lives, and what we should be doing. God, you've already given it to us. You've written this so that you, we can learn how much you love us, so we can uh, experience who you are, and so that we can be transformed by you. And so, Father, I pray that each and every one of us would allow you to transform us to look less like us and more like you. Jesus, would you help us to do that today as we talk about this? It's in your precious, life-saving name we pray. Amen. I've got a question for you. How do you best help someone in need of help? Now, let me ask you another question. When you see someone in help, what do you do? If you're anything like me, you kind of have these conflicting thoughts in your head, right? I mean, on the one hand, you have these things uh, that we just read about the parable of the good samaritan that often as christians will be driving down the road you might maybe you see a homeless person maybe you see a person begging with a cardboard sign on the side of the road and these stories start running through your head and you're like man I should probably do something But then you kind of have this conflicting argument that says, yeah, but I don't know, how am I going to best help? And what am I going to do, give them money? And who knows, that money might be used for things that are honoring to God. And so I don't want my money to go towards that. And I don't want to help that process alone. It's this kind of conflicting thing, right? You know, oftentimes we have excuses and these conflicting arguments combined with these excuses paralyze us from doing anything. When we pull up in a stop sign, and let's be honest, uh, how many of you went by the intersection of Michigan and Ireland on your way here? Real, real question. How many of you went? We got like one or two. Man, you guys come from a weird part of town. No, I'm just joking. Anyway, so maybe you're, maybe you drive by. That's a common intersection, right? And you see someone, and they're holding up a cardboard sign, saying, "Hey, anything helps. God bless." What do you do? They might only be five feet from your car window. I'm not proud to admit this but I know that these conflicting arguments these excuses that we've talked about like I don't know how am I going to best help what am I going to do I I don't even know what they want they paralyze us right and so we just kind of focus right on the road right oh just waiting for that green here we go oh maybe I need to turn out a different Christian song on the radio because this one's not the greatest you know I don't know if I Yeah, and you're like man it paralyzes us right what do you do Here's what I want to do today. I want to look at this and I'll look at the details that this Samaritan does because Jesus, as he's telling this, answers a very fundamental question. How do I love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It starts with this lawyer guy, right? He comes up to Jesus and he says, how do I get eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? And we know this if you've been in church for any amount of time. This is not like a civil law lawyer. This is a lawyer who is in depth in Mosaic law, the law that God has given to his people to know how to live. And so he knows this. Jesus, knowing that this guy knows this, asks, okay, well, you know what's in the law. And the guy answers correctly, right? Well, I love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And then it says that the guy seeking to justify himself. So I'm sure that this guy probably felt a little bit like a fool in front of all these people. I mean, essentially, he goes to Jesus and he asks, hey, how do I get an eternal life? And Jesus goes, you already know. What's the big deal? You know, he answers correctly. Yes, you know, go and do it. And so he's digging himself in a deeper hole here by saying oh yeah yeah that's not really what I meant uh what I really meant is who who is my neighbor how, how do I do this right I mean he's seeking to justify himself we do this all the time right maybe we'll ask a question we already know the answer to you maybe we ask a question that we're embarrassed to ask in the first place and go oh, I, I uh, uh, sorry I uh, I already knew your first name what's your last name that's what I meant right I mean it's this type of deal that this guy is asking and so when he's doing this Jesus goes okay I'm going to answer you, and I'm going to do so kindly. I mean, Jesus, he could have totally crushed this guy. He could have been like, hey, you already know. Go and do it. Like, just go and and do it. Stop wasting my time here. Jesus, though, he teaches, and it's very interesting. He could have spent hours and hours and hours teaching in-depth examples and teaching all of these things and, and, and saying, well, if someone does this or someone does that, someone does this. I mean, he could have went on for hours and hours and hours. Instead. He gives a parable that you could probably say in about a minute and a half. But it means so much more. Here's what I want to do today. I want to look at this example of this Samaritan that Jesus gives us. Here's what we're going to stray away from. A lot of times when we talk about these sort of things, we get into very specifics about how to help. I want to stray away from that because Jesus, as he's answering this question, he doesn't give specifics. He gives an example. And so I want to just portray this example to you, and I want to pull out some of the uh, very crucial details of it. Take a look here at verse 30. So Jesus starts talking. And he says, there was a guy that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, here's what you have to understand about this road. This is an extremely dangerous road. The terrain is very rocky. There's places where people can hide and jump out at people and mug them and harm them. And so this is a very dangerous road. The listeners would have known that. They go, okay, yeah, this is a dangerous road. For us today, this would be like, hey, you're out in a bad part of town after dark alone, right? That's just not smart. And so as the guy's going, it says that he fell among the robbers, he was stripped, they beat him, they departed him, and they left him half dead. And then Jesus brings in three characters, a priest, a Levite, and the Samaritan. Now this is really interesting because the priest, he would have been in the top tier of religious elite people in Israel. There's like the priest, and there would have been the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes. I mean, these guys are top tier people. And so you would expect that the top-tier guy uh, would have done the thing that Jesus would want him to do. But he said, no, 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 he didn't. Then you got the Levite. Now, the Levite, this is the tribe of Israel where all the priests came from. And so this is a little bit higher than just your typical Jewish person. This is kind of a middle-of-the-road type of a guy. And yet he passes by. Now, if you're listening, the Jewish audience here would have most likely anticipated for Jesus to go from top tier to middle to just every Joe Jewish person. But that's not what Jesus does. He goes from top tier to middle tier to, in the Jewish mindset, bottom of the barrel. The Samaritans, Jewish people, hated these guys. They viewed them as half-breeds. They would say, there's the Israelites, there's the Gentiles, and then there's the bottom scum of the earth the Samaritans. Quite frankly, they were prejudiced and racist against the Samaritans. They viewed them as a half Jewish breed. And so they hated these guys. And so for Jesus to bring up, hey, you got this top tier guy, this uh, pretty okay guy, and then the bottom of the barrel type of people. For Jesus to do this, I mean, his listeners would have been flabbergasted to even hear Jesus speak of Samaritans. Here's what I want to tell you, though. In Jesus' example here, we learned that, hey, you don't have to be top-notch. You don't have to be the religious elite. You don't have to be the people that everyone would expect to help out in order to do what God wants you to do. Maybe you're saying, hey, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with a great background. In fact, I did some sketchy things earlier in life. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, we're all on an equal playing field. I all want to have a relationship with you, and I want to transform you to do the things that I want you to do, like love your neighbor as yourself. And so before we even get into the example that the Samaritan gives us, I want everyone to recognize, hey, this could be me. I could fall in line with this example. I can do this no matter what my background is. So let's take a look at the first thing that this Samaritan does. First, it says, as he journeyed, he came to where he was and he saw him and he had compassion. I want you to think about that. As you see someone in need, maybe you're driving uh, down the road and you see someone in need, what is your tendency? If you're anything like me, and again, I'm not proud to admit this, I need this example as much as anyone needs this example. But I think many of our tendencies is to just look the other way. It's to just ignore. And yet, Jesus' example of the Samaritan is that when he saw him, he didn't ignore him. He didn't look the other way. He didn't pretend. He didn't hear him. He saw him and he had Compassion. And I think if we're going to fall in line with this, if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, as God calls us each and every one of us to do this, we have to notice and we have to have compassion. And we can't just look the other way and we can't say, oh, you know, I, I, I don't know the best way to help him. And uh, I, I, I don't know. That's that's probably not for me anyways. Because let's be honest, these priests, these Levites that Jesus talked about passing by, they probably had excellent excuses. They probably said something like this. Oh, you know, this this road's too dangerous for me uh, I can't stop in fact I might I might get I might get mugged myself this might be this might be an ambush I mean this might be like a, kind of a decoy to lure me in it's it's a trap I can't do this uh, and you know what I got to get to the temple anyways because I got I got important things for God to do I got really important things and you know what I got a family I gotta take care of them I can't be out here helping just Joe Schmo. and you know what someone should really help that man but it can't be me because oh anyways I mean if I would help I mean I can't get my clothes all messy this guy's all full of Blood and dirt. I can't get my clothes all messy. I got to go to the temple and surely I can't honor God with dirty clothes. I, there's no way I could do that. I don't know first aid, anyways. I can't help him. This is a hopeless cause. I mean, it says he was half dead. That's halfway to fully dead, right? So there's no way I can help him. Uh, and then anyways, if, even if I could, this is just going to be too big. Uh, and really, we need a whole team. I, I'm not that team. I'm just one person. I got important things to do. And I'm just going to go out. I'll pray for him. You know what? That'll be great. I'll pray for him. Throw up a prayer. I like hope somebody helps. Helps him, okay. Thanks, thanks, God. You just could really get somebody, get somebody to help him here. Uh, you know what? And anyways, he kind of brought himself. He shouldn't have been here, anyways, right? I mean, why was he going down this road? Why was he in the wrong part of town? Why was he doing this? He never asked me for help. I know he's half dead. I don't know if he can talk, anyways. But you know, he's half dead, and uh, he didn't ask me for help, and so I'm not going to help him. If he did, I probably would help him, but I'm not because he didn't help me. Whoa, right? That's a lot of excuses. But let's be honest, we have those same excuses in our head, don't we? When we see someone in need of help, excuses paralyze us. Arguments paralyze us. And instead, we ought to be... Spurred on by God's word and the example we have here to help. I mean, compassion is a big deal in the Bible. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3 puts it like this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Galatians says bear with one another burdens as so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Peter 3 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 7, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. If we're going to fulfill what God told us to do, we first and foremost need to notice and we need to have compassion. And then look at what uh, the Samaritan does next. It says that he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, obviously, they don't have first aid kits like we have today. They have very, uh, very basic things. But they do have some very basic level knowledge of how wounds and infections work back then. And pouring wine over it would help be, to clean it because the alcohol would kill any infections. Or at least help to kill any infections. Anybody grow up, uh, you scrape your knee or something, and your mom would pour hydrogen peroxide over, over your scrape. You know what I'm talking about? The brown bottle treatment. That's what I grew up on. You go and scrape your knee. It is not fun. That stuff stinks, okay? That hurts. You know what? Alcohol would probably do the same thing. I've never poured wine over an open wound, but I could only imagine that the sting of hydrogen peroxide would be very similar as pouring alcohol on a wound. Just similar things, but it stings, Right? There's very little purpose of pouring the oil on the man's wounds, though. The wine we get, right? That kills and cleans the infection. Okay, we understand that. What does the oil do? It soothes the man. It soothes the pain. That's why we buy things like Neosporin today, right? Like it, it has the uh, you know infection, killing, but it also has kind of that soothing ointment on it as well. That's what this man is trying to do. It's interesting because he could have just put the wine on, bound up his wounds and good enough, right? I mean, oil back then it's very costly. This this oil that he would have had, this is not like, you know, just buy a bottle of olive oil at Aldi, right? I mean, this is expensive stuff. This would have cost a lot of money for this guy and he said, "Hey, this is important because this man's in pain." So what does he do? He looks at the need, not only the very basic what does this man need to survive, but also what does this man need to be comfortable. What does he do? He holistically looks at the immediate need. And if we're going to follow the example of the Good Samaritan here, we've got to look at the whole need. Not just, oh, you know, what's going to get this guy by? What's going to help him to survive? But this Good Samaritan, he says, hey, what's going to help him be comfortable as well? Jesus here gives us the example in Matthew chapter 15 and the feeding of the 4,000. He cares for people's Hunger. He cares for people's uh, uh, need physically. Take a look at it in Matthew chapter 15. It says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And am I willing to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way? Jesus could have said, hey, I've taught you, go. Go and get your own food. He doesn't because he cares for people. James chapter 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If we're going to follow this example, we've got to say, hey, not only is it good enough to pour the wine on, you got to put the oil on too. And then look at what this guy does next. It says that he sits him on his own animal. I've got a question for you. If you're traveling by yourself back then, do you have two donkeys or mules or horses? Probably not. You probably only have your own. So if you use it for the guy who's half dead, what is it for you? You I think you're walking, Right. I mean, think about this guy sacrifice that he gives. This is rocky, hard terrain to walk over. He sets the guy that's half dead on his animal, and it says that he took them to an end, and he took care of them. And then the next day, took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said, take care of them. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, two denarii—that uh, denarii is about a day's wage—so we're not looking at a massive amount of money. But in today's standards, we are maybe looking at two, three, four, five hundred dollars. I mean, this is not chump change, but it's also not like crazy, crazy high. But let's be honest—I mean, this this might be all the guy has. We don't know. Maybe he has more. We're not sure. But this is a lot of money for this guy to just drop on a stranger. I mean, would you just go to a stranger on the road and give them 250 bucks? I know that I would really struggle with that. I'd be like, well, yeah, I don't know. I could, could I be using this for better things? Could I, could I be using this to, uh, for, to honor the Lord more? Maybe I could give this to the church. Maybe I could give this to a nonprofit organization that I believe in, right? Like, I mean, it's hard to drop that kind of money on a total stranger. And yet, think about what this guy does he walks alongside the animal that this guy is on. He walks over the rocky terrain. It probably took him a lot longer than it would have wherever he was going. He's probably late. In fact, he spends all night taking care of this guy at the end, This guy really sacrifices a lot on behalf of the man who is in need of help. Here's the next example that I think we need to follow is that we need to sacrificially provide for the need. Because let's be honest, a lot of us are willing to help until it really impacts our life, right? I mean, a lot of us are willing to help unless it causes us to be late. A lot of us are willing to help unless we really have to dish out any sort of money for it. A lot of us are willing to help if it's not too inconvenient, right? And yet, look at the example that the good Samaritan does for the guy. In fact, I think First John chapter 3 puts it very uh, well. By this we know, uh, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, first John here, he's saying, hey, listen, you have all of these things. Put it towards good use. It's very similar to what 1 Peter says. Each of us has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. That God has given us these things. And he says, hey, I want you to use it to honor me, which means loving me with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself. Just as Christ gave his life for us. Think about the sacrifice that this guy gave. First of all, he notices the guy on the side of the road. Then he has compassion on him. Then he says, hey, I'm going to meet the immediate need, and I'm going to care for you so much more that I care for your pain, and I'm going to use precious oil for you, and then I'm going to sacrifice for you. Now, does this sound similar to what Jesus has done for us? I mean, take take a look at this. These couple of verses in which the Samaritan helps the guy on the side of the road that's half dead. He reaches out first, just as Jesus reaches out for us and has compassion on each and every one of us. And then he cares for us and he sacrifices for us. If we're going to follow this example, I think what we really ought to do is to say, hey God, I need you to transform me to look less like me and more like you. we got to allow God to transform us and say, hey, you know what? God, I I realize that this example is very similar to the example that you have given to each and every one of us. And I need you to transform me, God. Because on my own regard, let's be honest, we're selfish, we're self-centered. But when God can transform us, it can look less like that and more selfless, more others-centered. More focus on what God wants us to do. Look at Ephesians. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Scripture says that Jesus has given us this sacrifice, and so we ought to love him back and allow him to transform us to look less like us and more like him so that we can be others' focus and sacrifice for them in order to show them the great love which God has shown to each and every one of us. And you might say, yeah, but that's really, really hard. And I still don't know exactly where to help and when. Romans chapter 12 puts it like this Don't be conformed to the world. In other words, don't listen to the arguments, right? On the other side, well, you know, this person's really, I mean, this person really doesn't deserve your help. You're doing important things, anyways. uh, So you got these other things to do. Look at this. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, there are going to be about a thousand different situations that you could find yourself in, in which you could be helping. And not all of them are going to be situations in which God calls you to help. However, look at what Romans chapter 12 says. You ever really struggle to know, man, what does God want me to do? Like, what is God's will for my life? Scripture's answer to this is to be transformed to give everything to God and be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. My guess is that for the vast majority of us, God's will for our lives is to look way more like this Samaritan, though. Because let's be honest, I think many of us struggle, how do I know how to help best? We have to be transformed by Christ. Here's what I want to um, end with. I I want to read a chunk of scripture from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is talking about the end times and awaiting his second coming. And uh, as I was preparing this message, I I felt like God just kind of put this passage on my heart. And I started reading it, and I'm like, man, when you read this in light of this example that we just got from this Samaritan, it's this example that Jesus uses to teach people how to best help, how to best love your neighbor. Man, it's powerful. Here's what I want to read to you. Matthew chapter 25. I wish we had time to read the whole chapter, but we don't. Matthew chapter 25. We're just going to read the last half. It's going to take me a couple minutes to read it. But as we read it, I want you to really pay attention and think of it in light of this example that we just read in the Good Samaritan. This is what it says. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats he'll place on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, so these are the sheep, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me then he will say to those on his left so these are the goats depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty you gave me no drink I was a stranger you didn't welcome me naked you didn't clothe me sick and in prison you didn't visit me and then they will all answer saying Lord when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and naked or sick or in prison? We didn't minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you didn't do it for one of the least of these, you didn't do it on to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Maybe the guy holding the sign Doesn't necessarily represent someone who has made bad choices. maybe is kind of our tendency to think about. Maybe the guy who's begging for help on the side of the road. Actually, Jesus says, hey, he's representing me. What are you going to do in that situation? Because Jesus, at the end, says, hey, listen, you're all going to face me. You're all going to sit in the judgment seat someday. And Jesus is going to ask you, did you serve the least of these? Here's what I want to leave you with. Keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind because let's be honest, all the excuses that run through our head, they're very here and now. I got to do this and I'm important and I got to go to my family and I got to get this done and I'm way too... I'm, I'm. I mean, these clothes are nice. I can't get my clothes messy, and I got to go serve God. I got important things I got to do for God. Yeah, but maybe God is asking you right now, hey, I want you to help this guy right next to you. And maybe God's really asking us, hey, what's your priority right now? If you really want to serve me, maybe it's by serving the person who needs help right next to you. And let's be honest, church. It's not easy. I, I'm going to be honest, as I've shared earlier. I struggle with this. I struggle. How do we help best? I don't, I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want to blow my money and I don't want to invest into someone who's just going to not appreciate it, right? I mean, that can't be honoring to God. Well, think about the example of the Good Samaritan, though. He put a lot of time and a lot of money. And he didn't know, I mean, This guy who was beat up, half dead at the side of the road. Maybe he was one of the robbers. Maybe he's kind of a bad guy himself. I mean, the Samaritan didn't know that. And yet, for him, it doesn't matter. He looks at the guy who obviously needs help. And he shows him the love of God. And he says, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to invest into you. And then he leaves. He does his job and he leaves. He doesn't know that. I mean, this guy who was beat up on the side of the road, I mean, he could just take off. And then this guy's the the good Samaritan, I mean, he could have a bill at the end, right? I mean, he could have a big bill. He could rack up, he could eat to the nines, right? And then say, hey, later, this guy will pay you, bye. And the Samaritan could come back and be unappreciated and could have just felt like he threw his money away, Right? And yet Jesus says, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And as Christians, I mean, think about the beginning of this. The lawyer is asking, how do I inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. These things are tied. And as Christians, if we're going to say we love God, loving others isn't an option. It's a command. We have to do it. And as I look at this example of the Samaritan, as I look at Matthew chapter 25, talking about Jesus separating the goats from the sheep, man, it's convicting. And it's hard to just continue on. And you know, maybe we need to get a little bit better at saying, you know what, I'm going to be late for this because God has something for me here now. And I'm going to put a little bit of time and buffer into my schedule so that it can allow for these things. And I'm going to prepare for it. Right? I mean, this Samaritan, think about the supplies that he had. He's got wine. He's got oil. He's got an animal. He's got the time. He's got the money to go and do these things. I mean, how many of us walk around with these resources on us? And yet this Samaritan says, hey, this is what God has given to me. So now I'm going to use it to honor and glorify him. I mean, think of how different your life could look like. And it may not always be better, right? I mean, it may be really, really hard to just say, Hey, you know what? I'm I'm going to stop on the side of the road. I'm going to help this guy. And yeah, it could be really dangerous. I could be throwing my money away. I'd be throwing my resources away. But let's be honest. God looks at every single one of us. And how often do we turn away from God? And yet God continues to pour into us. How often do people walk away from God's good gift that he gives to each and every one of us? And yet God says, I still love you. I'm still going to pour into you. I'm still going to reach out to you. What better picture could you give to people than to just simply help them in their need? What better image of Christ could you give to people than to just simply say, hey, I love you because God's loved me and I'm going to help you out. And it's really weird sometimes and it's really scary and I just don't know how to best help every time. But I'm going to follow this example that God gives to us and I'm going to try and do it the best way that I possibly can because I realize my life, my money, my resources are not my own. They are God's. And at the end of my life, I want to be like Paul, who's able to say this. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. At the end of your life, church, are you able to say what Paul said to Timothy? You able to say, I ran the race, I fought the fight, I kept the faith. Let's be a church who is. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for all the good gifts that you've given to us, for continually reaching out to each and every one of us, even when we turn our back, even when we underappreciate you even when we intentionally go astray, Jesus. Thank you for continually reaching out to each and every one of us. And help us, God. Help us to view other people as you view each and every one of us as beloved children of God. Help us to be the kind of people who said we feel good about reaching out to the least of these. We've done everything we can Help us not to fear the judgment day, but help us to look forward to it as Paul did. I've kept the faith. I ran the race. I fought the good fight. Help us to be those kind of people. Jesus, I pray that we would keep your sacrifice on the forefront of our mind. That we would be transformed by you to have compassion to sacrifice our own preferences in lieu of helping others. Jesus, help us to be those type of people. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's in your precious, life-transforming name we pray. Amen.